so good uh, to have uh, the baby dedication of Matthias. Um, what an absolute uh, delight. Okay, um, if you were here last week, you will know that we began a little mini-series. It's a two-week series uh, entitled Disciple. And uh, the last command of Jesus uh, in the Gospels was Matthew 28 and 19. Uh, actually, Alex has already read it. Um, and it's this command to go and make disciples. And just in this little mini-series, I wanted to unpack that a little and look at what it means, disciples, discipleship, and what that means to us today. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what happened to Jesus' disciples after Jesus went to heaven? Let me just tell you about what happened to a few of them. So in AD 64, Peter, Simon Peter, was crucified upside down on a cross. He was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. In AD 65, Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, was crucified in the Greek city of Patros on an X-shaped cross. James, not the uh, brother of Jesus, but James the apostle, was beaten up and executed after being thrown out of a window. Philip in AD 69 was tortured to death. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. Bartholomew and Matthew had similar fates. Only the apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, died of natural causes. And even he died of natural causes of old age after having survived being boiled in a vat of boiling oil. You say, Mark, why are you telling us this? Bit of a morbid beginning to the message. Well, Tertullian, the second century church historian, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So let me ask you a question. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things at convenient times with nice people. You see, I think we need a mindset shift because the news flash for all of us is we are born into a battlefield of good versus evil. Humanity, life is a battlefield on this earth between good and evil. And Jesus did not die to keep us safe. He rather wanted us to be dangerous and make a difference. Someone once said, the will of God is not an insurance plan. It is a dangerous plan. And I think the problem we've had, the, the mindset we've had, which has been so unhelpful, is, is that we've looked at what the Bible teaches, and we've not seen that as normal. We, we see what kind of Christianity might look like in 2021 and think that that is normal rather than what scripture teaches and what, what the apostles lived out as being the normal and what we're experiencing as being the abnormal. I'm going to read those verses again from Matthew 28. But I'm going to start at verse 16 because there's something I want to look at that you can so easily miss. So Matthew 28, starting at verse 16 through to verse 20. 
Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to not miss something. You see, the disciples at this point were still pretty scared. Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd resurrected. He was alive. He'd appeared to them, but they were still confused. They had lots of questions. They were in the upper room. You know, they were very unsure. Well, do we go out into society or do we hide away? What's the future hold? What's Jesus going to do next? They were scared about what lied ahead. And Jesus does two things before the Great Commission, which we jump to. He does two things. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. And you can so easily miss this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, theologians and commentators don't know exactly where that mountain was, but mountains were a key part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus would often go up a mountain to be alone. Jesus went up a mountain to teach the crowd, to feed the 5,000. And... It was up a mountain that Jesus called the disciples. So I want to point out two things from this bit. We can so easily skip over verse 16. Two things. Listen, number one, a change of place and a change of pace equals a change of perspective. Again, if you don't know much about the Holy Land, you'll miss this. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was 2,575 feet above sea level. Galilee was 680 feet below sea level, and there were 62 miles between the two. So when Jesus tells the 11 to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, he's telling them to change their perspective, height, change their geography, and change everything. That journey took roughly four days. It was a roughly a four-day hike. It was difficult terrain. And you see, Jesus is deliberately getting the disciples to change their location, change their pace, and get a change of perspective. Let me give you another example from Scripture. So in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is in a tent when God speaks to him. And what does Abraham, God, God say to Abraham? He says, step out of the tent and look up to the stars. A two-foot field trip from tent to outside to look at the stars changes the perspective of Abraham's thinking. It, it changes everything. Think about it on a personal level. I, I've just been honest with you, candy with you. I have an office in Stratford. Uh, which is where I will often work, whether it be emails, studying scripture, all those things. I'll, I'll do that there. And I might have a couple of hours working through stuff. 
And then I just, I, I, just stuck. Oh, my head's all over the place. So what do I do? I will go for a walk around the Olympic Park. I will change my location. I will walk rather than sit at a desk uh, on a laptop. And it changes my perspective. It shifts something. A change of location, a change of pace equals a change of perspective. So that's the first thing that, that Jesus was getting the disciples to do. He wanted to shift their perspective. Second thing, the way forward is backward. Say, so what are you talking about, Mark? Listen, we need to pray on top of answered prayer. Mark Batson, who's an American author, said this, our future tense faith is a product of God's past tense faithfulness. I'll say that one more time. I think it's so good. Our future tense faith is a product of God's past tense faithfulness. In other words, we're to look back at what God has done. And then when we look ahead, we're to say, God, do it again. Look back. God's faithful. God's been there. God was there for me. Right, God, do it again. So think about it. Think about some of the characters in the Bible. So Abraham, he would have thought, right, if ever he doubted God, he would have gone, right, I'll go back to Mount Moriah, where God provided the ram in the thicket so I didn't have to kill Isaac. I go back there, and I know God is faithful, so now I can face the future. Or Moses, when he was struggling, when he wasn't sure about what laid ahead, go back to the burning bush. Go back to the time that God met him to help him as he faced the new challenges that lay ahead. I think sometimes when we struggle in life, when we're struggling about what the future holds, when, when we're not sure about what's next, or we're facing our giants, or whatever it may be, in order to move forward, we need to go backwards to remember God's faithfulness. Go back to the time that you were saved, when Jesus met you and transformed your life. Go back to the time there was a miracle of provision whether a miracle of finance, whether the miracle of a job provision, whether the, the miracle of a breakthrough when you thought there would never be one. Go back to that moment when God powerfully met you on your knees beside your bed. Whatever it is, go back to go forward. So we mustn't miss this. It's, 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 it's so good. The disciples were in this kind of upper room, eight foot kind of, kind of almost like prison, and Jesus mixes it up. Go on a four-day hike. Go from Jerusalem up here down to Galilee down here. Change your perspective. And go back. I, we're going to go up a mountain. I'm going to remind you of the time that I called you as disciples three years ago up a mountain. Go back in order to then go forwards. Okay, let's, let's, let's continue. Verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission, is so familiar to us. And I think sometimes... It's familiarness, it loses its effectiveness. Because it's actually, it's an audacious statement. It's an audacious statement. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's this vision cast. The average first century person never traveled more than 30 kilometers from their home. But Jesus is saying, go to the ends of the earth. Or go out of your comfort zone, whichever the way you want to put it. Long before planes, trains, automobiles, 
God is, through Jesus, is, is like casting this vision to go unto all the earth. Again, it's fascinating if you look, where did the apostles, Jesus' original apostles, where did they end up? Where did they go in the years that followed before they were martyred? James, for example, went to Western Spain. Thomas went to India. Matthew went to Southern Ethiopia. So there was this catalyst that happened from the Great Commission and the fact that I believe that they saw the resurrected Jesus that meant that they then went out to the nations. They went out and saw things and reached people with the gospel. So that's the kind of the vision statement. And then this phrase, this phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. We just need to camp here for a moment and understand that. All authority has been given to you through Christ Jesus. We need to understand that or we can't fully exercise that power. Someone said, a theologian said that actually all authority in heaven and earth means that, that Jesus is reminding us that all authority happened twice. Once at creation and once at redemption, once at the cross. It happened twice. And the Dutch theologian Kripper said, all over the earth, Jesus cries, mine. Mine. It's all mine. Now, in the Roman times, in the Roman times, on all the coins, on all the kind of coinage and all the legal tender was a picture of Caesar. And it said on it, Caesar is Lord. So to say Jesus is Lord kind of smacks in the face of the Roman Empire. It's treason. And yet Jesus is saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And I think it's helpful here to unpack that authority a little bit more. So I think there's three types of authority that we have. Firstly, there's spiritual authority. So you, as a believer in Jesus, have been given the power over principalities and the spiritual realm. You have the weapons to fight that which is evil. You don't need to fear anything because you have the top trump. You have the authority. The second type of authority is a relational authority. In other words, you're not an orphan. You're made in the image of God. You're the apple of God's eye. Listen to this beautiful verse from Haggai. Haggai 2 verse 23. On that day declares the sovereign Lord. Listen to this. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. What's the symbolism of a signet ring? The symbolism of a signet ring is the one who has the signet ring has the full authority of the king. It's a symbol of authority. If you have the signet ring, you have the same authority as the king. We have the signet ring. We have the relational authority given to us through Jesus Christ. We have that power. The Greek word for authority here used in Matthew 28 is the word for delegated authority. It's where we get the idea of the power of attorney. So we have a spiritual authority. We have relational authority. And then we have positional authority. In other words, our authority comes in Christ. 
Because as believers, we are in Christ. That is where our authority comes from. We can do, therefore, what Christ did. We can cast out demons. We can heal diseases. We can bind things. We can pronounce blessings. We can move mountains. How? With faith as small as a mustard seed. Let me ask you a question. I wonder, what is God doing in your life right now? What do you sense God is doing right now in Hope Church? In that area of your life, you can exercise authority. Authority in love, authority in signs and wonders, authority in knowing who you are in Christ. Now, many of you might be asking, what does this look like in practice? It's a great question. What does moving in authority, walking in the authority given to us by Jesus, what does it look like? Because let me tell you two things it doesn't look like. So humility... But with no authority is powerless. You know, the humble person, oh, I help you, this, the the humble person, but with no authority doesn't achieve anything. But the other extreme is equally dangerous, if not more so. The person who has authority or acts with authority, but no humility is destructive. The Bible talks about God opposing the proud. So so what does it look like in practice? What does this look like, exercising the authority we have in Christ? Well, it is humility and authority together. And again, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our standard. Let me read a couple of verses from John 13. John 13 and verses 3 to 4. It's the Last Supper. And let me read now. I'll just read from verse 2, actually. During supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to portray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the table that he rose from the table, sorry, took off his outer garments, taking a towel, put it round his waist. And began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus shows us what humility and power and authority look like together. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the authority and the power was his. But what did he then do? He then went and washed the disciples' feet. And I think that's such a powerful mix. It's a powerful mix that is so, so needed today. The mix of authority and humility. The mix of knowing our authority is in Christ and we no need to fear nothing and we have authority over all things, but the humility to walk as a servant. And like I said, to walk as a servant without humility, so walk as a servant without authority gets you nowhere. And to walk in authority without humility equally is destructive and just causes problems. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Jesus is a disciple maker. Jesus is one who calls us to make disciples. Now, there's something really important here. 
that we are commissioned to go and do this. But we will never be ready. We'll never be ready to do this. We'll be called to do it, but we'll never be ready to do it. I mean, in life, we're never ready for the big things that happen. You're never ready fully to get married. However much marriage prep you do, you're never fully ready for what marriage actually is. Having children, you can read all the books and go to all the classes, but you're never fully ready to have children. You're never fully ready to do what God calls you to do. God speaks to you. God tells you about something I'm asking you to do. You'll never fully be ready. You might need to step into it and you don't feel ready. You feel all over the place. You feel like you're unable to achieve what God has called you to do. And it's the same with discipleship. It's the same with the Great Commission. You'll never feel ready. That is not an excuse. We're called to be disciple makers. It's less, about, it's less about going somewhere. And it's more, I think, especially in today's day and age, more about being fully present where we are. In, in a day and age where you can be on the phone, you can be with someone, but be on the phone. It's about being present in the moment, in the situation. It's about being present with the, with, with, with the family you're in. It's about being present with your work colleague. It's about being present with your neighbors. It's about being present right here and right now. And it's less about ability, and it's more about availability. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Use me. You know my, my, my ups and downs. You know my struggles. But here I am, Lord. Would you use me? And again, think about it. Again, think about it. Last week, we looked at how discipleship was uh, very much at the center of the, the spread of the early church. I know it seems obvious, but Jesus wasn't on TikTok. He wasn't on YouTube. He wasn't on social media. He didn't have a blog. He didn't have a website. All he did was make disciples. That's what he did in his three years of ministry. Yes, he did miracles. Yes, he taught. His ultimate goal was the cross and the resurrection, but he made disciples. He was a disciple maker. And think, think of it like this. I mean, you might think, well, I'm not sure if I'm a disciple of Jesus. I don't know. Everybody, everybody on this planet is a disciple of someone or something. In other words, they follow someone or something. If you don't follow Jesus as a disciple of Jesus, you will follow something or someone else. And discipleship is very much caught more than taught. Yes, there's great discipleship courses, but, you know, it's, it's, it's more about how you treat people and how others view you treating people. It's, it's about the spiritual disciplines that you model and that you have in your life and how others see them and replicate them. And discipleship is a team sport. It's a team sport. That was what was so beautiful about the early church. The early church grew. The early church spread because they had it in their DNA that each person, every man, woman, old, young, in the early church had a part to play. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples have been arrested for telling people about Jesus. 
and they're up before the, the, the high priest, the Sanhedrin. And this is what the, the Sanhedrin say about the, the disciples. They say, listen, it's very interesting. They say they're unschooled, ordinary men. Ordinary people. They're like us. They're, just, they're not special. We're not scholars. They're not multimillionaires. They're, they're unschooled, ordinary men. But then it says, who have been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary men who've been with Jesus. And I think we just need to demystify the whole process of discipleship because it's not about being in a classroom. It's about the, around the kitchen table. It's about a boardroom at work. It's about the locker room at the gym. It's about the coffee shop. It's ordinary people like you and me imitating the ways of Jesus and sharing that with those around us. Now, very specifically, Hope Church, God has gifted us this incredible building, the hub. We'll talk more about that next week at the Vision Sunday. But let me just, just put in a little warning or a little kind of catch. God wants us to steward this building well. And it's not about bricks and mortar. It's about people. It's about disciples. It's about maximizing this space to disciple others, to love others, to, to share with others, to teach others, to, to replicate and multiply what God has done in our lives. So to close, the challenge here, the challenge is this. Lord, I want to be a disciple that walks out, walks out, Matthew 28, 19, walks out all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I will go and make disciples. That's the challenge to say, I will walk that out. I will live that out. I will go and do that in the workplace with my friends, with my neighbors, with those that God puts me into contact with. I will be a disciple maker. I will follow the example of Jesus and be one who makes disciples, whether that's two, whether that's 20, whether that's 2,000. I will make disciples. I will invest in people. I will love people, care for people, catch them up in my world and share my relationship with Jesus, what I have learned, and together, together, we will be more like Jesus. We're going to close like this. The band are going to come up, if you want to do that now, and we're going to worship with a song called Christ is Enough that many of you will know. We're going to worship with that song and sing that song. It's just as a kind of declaration to say, Lord, Jesus, I want to be a disciple of you afresh. You are enough. You are my world. You are my everything. We're going to worship and sing that song. And then I'm going to come up and pray for us. Because I really want to pray for the whole aspect of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us. I want to pray for our authority this week. I want to pray for the positions that you put us in, that we might be full of authority. And see Christ's authority that has been given to us and is in us lived out and worked out in the coming days. So we'll sing Christ is enough first. 